and honest and brave and just compassionate and loving man chuckled to himself one morning while he was reading the paper, he and his wife having breakfast, and uh, the kids were, were off getting ready and doing their thing. And as he was reading, he came across this, this quote, and it said, who can, who can forget Winston Churchill's immortal words? We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. And he turned to his wife in his most loving voice, and he said, <laughs> kind of sounds like our family vacation. <laughs> family. Family. Whether you love them real close or from a distance, everyone has a family. And if you haven't noticed, no family is perfect. We all have different personalities. We all have different thoughts, different preferences. We may look similar, but we do not act the same. And we can agree, I think, on some things, right, in family. We have, we have good times where we agree. But then there's other times where nothing makes sense, and it seems like we're always at odds. Families experience great moments together, and they also experience moments that are just really hard. And no matter how much you may love your family, sometimes somebody does something that's just really dumb. Sometimes someone says something that's just totally out of line. Sometimes, all at once, everybody just kind of blows it. You know, it's been said before that a family shares things like dreams, hopes, possessions, memories, smiles, frowns, and gladness. A family is a clan held together with the glue of love and the cement of mutual respect. A family is shelter from the storm, a friendly port when the waves of life become too wild. No person is ever alone who is a member of a family. I think this is a pretty good description of family. Would you agree? And though this is true, the unfortunate reality is that family, like we've said, sometimes is hard. Every family is made up of imperfect people. And however, though, one thing for certain, what is found in true family is a supernatural ability to stick together, to stand hand in hand, to never give up on each other, and to forgive and reconcile. Now, it may seem a little odd to you that I'm speaking about family today, but let me paint this picture for you. On the last, I mean, what seems like forever, we've been in the Gospel of Mark, <laughs> And we've been following Jesus' ministry and the calling and formation of a family. And this family has seen some really crazy stuff. This family has said some really crazy stuff, and they've done some really crazy 
stuff. You know, they followed a man that they weren't even sure of. They did what he said. And they became brothers with him and the other guys that were there. And they gained sisters along the way. And all the while, they were serving their father. That's family. And they were also being prepared and preparing to invite any, any who would come into this family. So you got that picture in your head, family. And today we see this family in the midst of something that's actually kind of pretty regular with families, uh, we, family dinner. I don't know if you guys do, do this, but uh, before we moved here, and we lived in Houston, and our whole family was there. I mean, brothers, sisters, grandparents, everything. And so, you know, every other Sunday, we'd, we'd get together with one of the families, and we would have, we'd have dinner, and it was just regular. If you, if you weren't there, you're the weird one. What's going on? Uh, you are expected to be there. This is family dinner. And so here's, here we are at this family dinner, and wouldn't you know it, Something presents itself, which kind of happens at family dinner, a conflict, a conflict. And if you remember from last week in, in Mark 14, we read verses 10 through 21 in your city group church. And we read about one family member making just kind of a dastardly decision, right? Judas. Um, we, we read about the big brother, that's Jesus, explaining in great detail how and where to go prepare for this meal that was coming up. And then Big Bro dropping this bomb on the group, right? Someone in here is going to betray me. And of course, everyone in, in right fashion just denied it, right? No, what do you mean? Not me. And then we see him give a little reassurance. It's okay, guys, look, it, this is supposed to happen, right? I'm going to be betrayed, but it's supposed to happen. And then he follows that up with a major gut punch to the one who's going to betray him. You know, he says it would have been better for him to not even be born. I mean, sounds like a great time, right? And let me ask, I mean, that, that's a pretty good recap, would you say, of what, what we talked about last week? Anybody recap things like that in your city group? I mean, that's kind of how, how it all went, right? And you can word, use words like big bro in your, in your recap. It's fine. But that brings us to our text today. And, and if you turn into your Bibles in Mark 14, we're starting in verse 22, and we're going to read through verse 31. And I'm going to go ahead and just read it all for us today right now. So Mark 14, starting in verse 22, and it says, And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and we had, when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, 
you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, it is life and it is truth. And it is a guide into this, into this life we walk. Thank you for, um, for, for putting it down on paper that we might have to learn from and grow from. And would you give us insight and wisdom into it today? In Christ's name, amen. So the first part of our text is this beautiful moment. You can almost feel time stand still as Jesus commands their attention and institutes a new way of connecting to their master. And as they wrap up this part in the meal, they take, they take a nice walk. Anybody ever do that after, after a meal? You take a nice walk out wherever it's, it's cool in the evening, and they're like, yeah, that was a good meal, especially Thanksgiving. That was, that was good. We're way too stuffed. Let's go for a walk. And, um, and then the mood changes drastically. The whole thing that is going on here is beautiful, it's deep, it's spiritual, and it's a little strange. From last week's passage to this, it kind of feels like one big roller coaster. A lot of ups, a lot of downs, twists, going backwards, all these things, you know, that make roller coasters fun. With all these things going on surrounding the Passover celebration, there may have been a little bit of tension in the room. Would you, would you agree? I mean, a lot of stuff happened in that room in a short period of time. A lot of people got called out. A lot of new changes coming about. There may have been a little bit of confusion. I know if I was sitting in there, I probably would have been asking myself, what's he talking about? What is going on here? I mean, I've seen some good things, and I've, I've walked with this guy for a while, but this seems new. This seems different. And you've got to remember, this is a family. And even in the hard times, in the weird moments, they stick together. And at a certain point in the meal, Jesus takes the opportunity to get really real, right? I mean... Kind of, kind of this pause on, on what may have been a good time and just, just stops and says, guys, I need you to really listen to me. And he takes the bread and, and he breaks it and he hands it out to each one of them. And he instructs them to eat it. In Matthew and Luke's account, he refers to the bread as his body. And then in the same way, he takes the cup and he refers, he offers it to them and tells them to drink it, and refers to it as the blood of the covenant poured out for many. You see, Jesus knows his time is short. And these guys, in fact, all believers, are going to need something to keep their focus. 
So he institutes this new and beautiful thing of pausing to remember. To remember him whenever they gather. To remember him wherever they go. And then, what do we see? Back down the roller coaster. Screaming for dear life when he pronounces, you're all going to flee. You're all going to scatter. You're all going to leave me. Now, on the surface, these two passages can seem a little disconnected. But if we let ourselves really sit in it for a moment, if we let the the Spirit move, I think we will see something beautiful in all of this, and we'll see how they actually do pair well together. But to really understand, to really kind of dig in, we need to take a minute and look back. We need to see what makes Passover significant. So significant that Jesus even said in Luke 22, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Why would he say that I've I've been looking forward to this time? What makes it so significant? You see, in the traditional Passover meal, there were many elements incorporated into it. And they all symbolize different aspects of the first Passover. You know, the first Passover, when Moses warned all the Israelites of the tenth and final plague that was coming. When he instructed from the Lord each household to kill a spotless lamb and put the blood on on the top and the sides of the doorposts, the door frame. The tenth plague, we remember what it is, right? The death of every firstborn, every firstborn, even to livestock, it was coming. But those with the covering of the blood would be saved. So why, or um, excuse me, they they were in this moment, right, of instruction and and preparation for this meal, for this time. And then God takes it even a step further, right? And says, not only do you slaughter this lamb and put the blood, but there's some other things you need to do. You need to be prepared to eat certain things and be ready. And he says in Exodus 12, 8 through 11, speaking about the lamb that was slaughtered, They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So that's a lot of instruction. That's some pretty detailed instruction of not only how to prepare, but what to do, and if you read on, why they're doing this. So now we've, we've looked back, right? This is the first Passover. So now we've got to fast forward to the Passover meal that Jesus was sharing with his disciples. 
and why he was eager to eat it with them. The Passover meal that Jesus was sharing with his disciples, I mean, first of all, it was an actual meal. we got to remember that. This was a prepared thing. They took a lot of time to get it ready. And it's a dinner that they sat down to. And it had several elements that would remind them of the first Passover, that would speak to that night. In Exodus 12, 14, it says, The day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever, and you shall keep it as a feast. And so the Lord not only did something for the Israelites to free them, to remove them from captivity, but then he set this up as a day, a time, a specific moment of remembrance. And it wasn't just a, hey, you guys should have a party. right? This was commanded. You do not miss this. And it's done each year at the same time. It was an an instructed celebration. But this meal that we're at tonight, today, they were at, is a little bit different, right? And it's different not in how they prepared it, not in in the, the remembrance piece, but it's different because Jesus flipped things around a little bit. He's pretty good at doing that. He's pretty good at saying, here's how you... You do things that you've done forever. But let's look at it a little differently. And he took what was familiar, two common elements, and he gave them spiritual meaning. So if we notice from our text, each one is given a piece of bread. No one was left out. And to accept this bread from him, the master, is a show of unity. And let's not forget that. It is a show of unity. Both to Christ as head, and then unity with each other as the brotherhood, as a family. Three things I want to just kind of point out real quick about, about this bread. The first one is, you know, bread, anybody like bread? I mean, come on. There's all different types. You, there's so many things you can put on it. I mean, you make a sandwich with bread. Who doesn't like a sandwich every so often? I mean, jelly, jams, you know, spread, all this kind of stuff. Man, you got different sourdough. I mean, bread is good, people. I don't care what, I don't care what anybody says. If you're gluten intolerant, you know, they got gluten-free bread. Bread is good. And bread fills the stomach, right? It doesn't take much, and you kind of feel, you kind of feel full. And it, if you're hungry, it'll satisfy, right? I mean, it'll satisfy. And though it may not be the most nutritious thing in the world, it will sustain life. The second thing... I want you to notice, for this bread to be shared and distributed and given to each one that was there, it had to be broken. 
It had to be torn and ripped and passed out. And the third thing is, you know, Jesus referred to himself as the bread of life. You guys remember that? I am the bread of life. This bread now is a reference to him. He's calling it his own body. And this life-giving bread is also both Jesus as the bread of life, and now this new thing he's instituting is a parallel to manna. And manna was the bread from heaven that was given to the Israelites in the desert when they had nothing to eat. It was the one thing from the Lord that they had to eat to sustain and to give them strength, to keep them moving. And it didn't just give them strength, right? It gave them all they needed. So I don't think it's any coincidence Jesus chose bread as a representation. And then he takes the wine and, you know, wine in general is kind of a drink to lift spirits. But he twists it up, doesn't he? And he says, yeah, wine is used for that, but now it's symbolic. Now it has deeper meaning. It's symbolic of the very blood poured all the way out for the remission of all sin. You know, in the sacrificial system that they were used to, that they were in, that uh, we, we do not partake in, thank the Lord, that's a lot of blood. Um, but in the sacrificial system, there was no forgiveness, none, without the shedding of blood. In order for forgiveness to be pronounced on the people, something had to die. And all the blood had to be spilled. And I don't know if you know this, but in their system, that was happening all the time. All the time. And so Jesus compares pouring the wine out to be shared among believers to his blood that would soon be shed. And you know, speaking of the wine, I learned an interesting fact of the Passover meal that I had never known this. I mean, I know there's some things I know, right? There's some things I've studied. There's some things I've learned um, through God's grace. I'm not trying to puff myself up at all, but I know things. And, um, but I, I learned something new, and I love when the Lord does this because it's just, it just goes to show me that there's so much out there that I don't know. There is so much to be learned from God's Word, from who He is, from what he does, for why he does the things he does. And so in reading, I found out that as part, uh, in, the, in the Passover meal, as part of the setup, there were actually four cups of wine that were set out. And each cup represented something different. Same wine, four cups representing something different. In his book, King's Cross, Tim Keller writes, it included four points at which the presider holding a glass of wine, got up and explained the feast's meaning. The four cups of wine represented the four promises made by God in Exodus 6, 6-7. And these promises were for rescue from Egypt, for freedom from slavery, for redemption by God's power, 
and for a renewed relationship with God. The third cup came at a point when the meal was almost completely eaten. And so it's believed that when Jesus instituted the observance of a new covenant, the remembrance through breaking of bread and the cup, it was this third cup that he blessed and gave them to drink from. The third cup for redemption uh, by God's power. And there's also a possibility that Jesus did not drink from the fourth cup. I don't know if that's true or not, but there's a possibility. The fourth cup represents renewed relationship. And that hadn't happened yet. And this would serve to reinforce also what he says in verse 25 when he says, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Again, I'm not saying that's what happened. But I kind of hope it is. You know? I mean, nothing Jesus does is without meaning and symbolism. So just as the first Passover marks a moment in history never to be forgotten, this new supper marks a moment and all the moments after it as redeemed and made right before God. All who would share in this meal do so because they know the love of the Father given to humanity through His Son. And what seemed to be just a meal of celebration starting, right? These guys, these 12, preparing the meal. It's going to be a good time. A good time with our Master. A nice time with friends. It was transformed into a holy meeting of saints with a command attached to it where in one accord we remember our Savior and proclaim His kingship and his return. But the moment, unfortunately, was not meant to last. You know, it's the 11th hour, and, it, and things were starting to really ramp up. And Jesus had one final revelation and a warning to give. In fact, it would be done, everything would be done, just as was prophesied. And he tells his friends, his brothers, as they leave the meal and take a walk, that each one of them were going to fall away. And he says in Mark 14, 27, and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the shepherd will be scattered. You know, at this point, these guys were probably used to hearing things that were a little, little strange sounding. From Jesus used to doing some things that just didn't maybe make sense. And so I could see maybe some of them kind of being a little, what did he say? But maybe kind of going with it, you know, if no one else says anything, maybe we'll all just kind of laugh it off and keep going. Uh, But not Peter. Peter can't keep his mouth shut and probably for good reason, right? I mean, 
He's just a guy. He's the he's the horse before the cart kind of guy, or the cart before the horse kind of guy, right? I mean, he gets going and then realizes he missed five steps along the way. But in this instance, it probably served him, I don't know, served him well, got everybody thinking. Um, and so he, he just looks at him and says, hey, not me. Not me. I think I know that you know all things, but not me. You don't know this. They may all do that, but it's not going to, I'm not the guy. And if I can imagine the scene, Jesus unfolding what was going to happen. This moment of intense clarity. And Peter saying, no, no way. Not me. And Jesus looking at him. I can just imagine him putting his, I don't know if he did this, but just in my head, putting his arm around his shoulder and, and pulling him close and gently looking at him and just, bruh. Do you not know who I am? Have you been with me? You've been with me for so long. But seriously, though, I do imagine, I, I do honestly imagine a mix of compassion and gentleness from Jesus in this moment, of the master who knows but can't fix what's about to happen. Because it has to happen. You know, sometimes grace is, is strange and truth, truth is hard. And so Jesus tells him exactly what will happen in Mark 14.30. Truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Now, of course, Peter denies it, even saying that he would die. He would die with Jesus, and I think he probably would have. I think he would have if, if that could happen. And the others agree with him, but spoiler alert, it happens, you know, exactly how Jesus said it would. And there's a lot going on in these passages, and both from last week's study and this week's, we have Judas's decision, um, the start of a meal, Announcement of betrayal, the first communion, announcement of denial. I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot in a short period of time, but isn't that kind of like life? I mean, sometimes it just hits you from all fronts, and it's, nev it's never all good, but it's never all bad. It's never all busy, but it's never all relaxed. I mean, that's, that's just the way we live. That's the way things unfold. There's good, there's hard. But in the middle of all of that, in the middle of the things he announced and the things they were doing, God came through. God shines through. And this thing of new renewal and reconnect with God that was made is established until the end of time. I know I've said a lot, and um, as I 
think through it all and I, I'll, I'll just kind of leave you with this thought. And, and These really aren't two, two passages that are easy to talk through in the same time. But I do think they go together because it shows the love of God, right? The extreme love of God that He sits with us in every moment. We have a Savior that lifts us up and brings renewal to our lives, but we have a Savior that sits in the mud with us. And not just sits in it, but lifts us out. He goes down into it if he has to, to lift us out. I'm a huge Back to the Future fan. Huge fan. And not to call her out, but my wife is probably rolling her eyes right now. Because she knows. Uh, there's not much about those movies that I don't like. And I, yeah, I could go back and watch them uh, anytime. Well, kind of. Um, but even the title to me is interesting, right? It's this kind of play on words because you, you have to go back uh, in time to get back to the future, right? And then if you go forward in time and mess things up, then you've got to go back further to get back to your time, which from where you're coming from is the future, right? So it's this this weird cyclical kind of thing that, that I, I don't know, maybe I'm weird, I like it. But as Marty goes on this, these adventures with the doc, and he learns about life, and he learns about his, his parents, he learns about where he came from, and he learns about who he is. And he learns about where he wants to go. And he learns that he can make mistakes, but it doesn't have to cover his whole life. And like Marty, we have to go back. Right? We have to go back to who Jesus is. To what he did. To how he taught. To his recorded death and resurrection. And we have to go all the way back, as a matter of fact, all the way back to the garden. To God pronouncing that one will come. That the curse is not the end of it all. We have to go back and remember that Jesus is the Messiah. The prophesied one. God incarnate. We have to go back to the cross. To His death. To His resurrection and to his ascension. You see, only then, when we've gone back all through all of that, can we look to the future, to the hope that is found in his story. You know, I left out one of the most important pieces from our text. And Jesus says something unique and reassuring two different times as he's giving instruction about Communion, he says, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And then right after he tells them that they're going to scatter away, he says, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. 
two different times and in two different ways, Jesus reassures them that he is coming back. You see, they don't know really what's about to happen. But before they even know what's going to happen, in a few moments, he tells them what's going to happen and will be forever. That they will see him again. And he's told them several times to this point that he's going to die. But this is the very night in which these things will take place. They don't know it, but he does. And even in the midst, and I, this is, I promise I'm done, even in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of pain, in the midst of whatever muck and mire you may find yourself in, there is hope. There is always hope. There is reassurance. Why is this table, this family dinner so important, this thing that we are going to partake in together as a family? Why is it so important? Why is it okay if we stumble, if we scatter, if we lose heart? Because hope never dies. Hope never dies when your hope is put in the one thing that can't die, that lives forever. And his name is Jesus. Because we don't hope in what makes sense in our minds, but in what God has said. And so, I'll echo the words of the preacher Ralph Albert Abernathy when he said, I don't know what the future may hold, but I do know who holds the future. Amen? Amen. Father, you are, you are good. Lord, there's so many things we don't understand. There's so many things we don't, we don't get, we, that we get wrong. So many times that we just feel like failures. And thank you that you lift us from that. And you remind us that you have not failed. And that in you, in Christ, with belief in who he is, that we are not failures, that we are conquerors, that we are kings and we are priests and we are on a royal journey to do the only things that we can do through you. Father, would you go before us? Would you help us to remember that we are family? And there's hard moments in family, but man, there are some really great ones. Lord, you prayed for unity. And as we take this bread and this juice, may we remember that this is the symbol of unity for all believers. Thank you for this time, Father. And we give it to you in Christ's name.